morning. The title of this morning's message is, Some Decisions Can't Be Undone. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly. This morning we will be looking into the last portion of chapter 5 in the book of Hebrews. What I hope you will see through today's message is that some decisions cannot be undone. And that truth can be a true blessing. <laughs> Not just a warning, but a blessing. <laughs> For example, our decision to trust in Jesus as our Savior, that decision can't be taken back. Because it's not a decision that saves us. It's Jesus that saves us. All we did was we gave him permission to save us. He did all the saving. <laughs> all at once. <laughs> and he did it by spiritually killing the old us off and giving us a brand new us that is one spirit and one life with Jesus himself. So we are now eternally saved because Jesus is eternal and we are inside of him. So that decision cannot be undone, even if we decided that we wanted to leave Jesus. We can't. <laughs> we are spiritually one with him. So wherever we go, he goes too. Even if we choose to live a sinful lifestyle. And we can see this truth in 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 warns his readers not to participate in fornication by going to quote-unquote worship at the heathen temples. <laughs> because where they went, Jesus went. And we see this beginning in verse 15. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid! What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one united flesh. In other words, one life united in all things. The he in this sentence is referring to what God said in the book of Genesis when he said, and the two shall become one flesh. That word one doesn't mean the number one. It means one united. It is the union that is not able to be undone. That's his point. So it was God himself that said that sexual intercourse between two people, what happens is they enter into a unity of oneness that in their natural lives and their emotional lives and their mental lives and their financial life. <laughs> this oneness happens in every scope. And that was the point. He said, you have to know you don't want to go to the temple <laughs> and fool around because you're actually taking Jesus to the temple with you and having him fool around, so to speak, which he would not do. <laughs> Verse 17. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Therefore, I love this. We need to really tell young people this. Flee! Run away as fast as you can <laughs> from fornication. <laughs> Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. And again he says, what? <laughs> know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. And we could add the word both. Both which are God's. One of the points that the Apostle Paul makes here is that all that we are, body, soul, and spirit, belong to Christ. He purchased all that we are. And all that we are belongs to him. So we are completely, body, soul, and spirit, his. We're not just our own. We're his. And that which belongs to Jesus should not be joined to a temple prostitute, which is what this specific passage was referring to. The temples back then, you could go and visit a quote-unquote temple priestess who would have relations with you and we would receive money, and that would cause your so-called sins to be forgiven. Not. <laughs> but you can see why young men who used to go to the temple and they came to Jesus still wanted to keep going to the temple. <laughs> and so they did not know. You see, that was normal for them. They did not know that God said, this is not good for you. Don't do that. So what we can see here is that the outward activity of being with a prostitute did not undo 
the oneness with Christ. That's his point. This, no, Jesus doesn't want you to do that because you're defaming his character and your own character. It's the same thing. Do you not know what happened to you when you got Jesus? And unfortunately, most people do not know what happened to them when they got Jesus. So their sin did not separate them from Jesus, but neither did their actions honor and glorify Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Instead, it betrayed their true identity as a son of God. Sons of God don't need to go to temples. (laughs) Sons of God have God inside. They are the temple. That was his point. Now, the Corinthian believers, as we well know, were all baby believers. (laughs) And they had come out of paganism and polytheism. So there's a lot they did not know. That's why the Corinthian church was such a mess. (laughs) So to them, in their natural thinking, a trip to a temple prostitute was, was no big deal. They did it all the time. But in truth, they were disrespecting the Christ who was living within themselves. And their actions in the long run would only bring forth destruction and corruption into their lives because that's the nature of sin. If sin is left unchecked, it always brings forth corruption and destruction. It kills everything. So that's why he's telling them, don't do this. It won't work out well for you. And you can imagine what kind of problems they would have (laughs) having relations with a prostitute. So the Apostle Paul reminds them of the spiritual truth of who they really are. He doesn't condemn them. He doesn't tell them they're sinners. He doesn't tell them they've lost their salvation. He doesn't tell them that they need to repent, the way the church thinks of repentance. He says, you need to know who you are. What happened to you? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the whole? Do you not know this? You need to know this. (laughs) So the Apostle Paul reminds them of the spiritual truth of who they really are. They are members of Christ, both spiritually and physically. In other words, their bodies are his bodies too, not just their spirits. Jesus paid to redeem all that we are out of the kingdom of darkness, body, soul, and spirit. And that cannot be undone. Now, I'm very aware that a large percentage of believers around the world are convinced that they hold in their own hands the power to keep themselves spiritually saved by living in accordance with either the Old Covenant law or by living in accordance with the leading of the Holy Spirit. But in actuality, neither of those options are in accordance with the New Covenant. We cannot and we do not keep ourselves saved. Even if I'm being really good and following the Holy Spirit and minding my P's and Q's, that does not keep me saved. Jesus keeps me saved. (laughs) It's what he has done. It isn't what I can add to. Now, he doesn't want us to fall into sin because sin destroys our life. So that's why he's always saying, no, don't go that way. Find out who you are. Find out who I am. Believe in me and let's do life together. So we cannot keep ourselves saved through the old covenant laws and we don't keep ourselves saved by being led by the Holy Spirit. Now that would really shock a lot of people to hear that. What do you mean? me being led by the Holy Spirit doesn't keep me saved. You see, they think salvation is something Jesus gave you, and now you have to keep it and protect it and water it and make sure it doesn't die. (laughs) And then when you get to the end of your life, if you did a good job, well, then you're actually saved. That is what most of the church preaches. They say, come to Jesus and get your reservation for heaven. Well, you know what? Reservations can be canceled. (laughs) And that is the message that soon follows most of the time. Because they believe either they can undo it or that we've done something so bad that God cannot forgive us or that we were never really saved to begin with. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul telling new converts who are going to temple, well, gee, you haven't quit sinning. You must not really be saved. Does that make sense? No. (laughs) They haven't learned who they are, but it doesn't mean Jesus didn't save them. He saved them to the uttermost. He saved them completely. They just don't know nothing (laughs) about who and what they are. (laughs) It's Jesus who keeps us saved because his salvation 
is an eternal salvation, a forever salvation, a perpetual salvation. He accomplished our great, complete, and so great salvation. He accomplished it. And we just get to cooperate with his grace through the faith that he gave us as a gift. He gives us the faith so that we can believe. He does it all. But often, new covenant baby believers live like they are still under the old covenant system of outward righteousness. They get saved and they start going to church. And then they're told all the rules they need to keep for God to be happy with them. And when they love Jesus, they try really hard to keep all those rules. (laughs) And then they find themselves very sad because they can't keep all the rules. (laughs) So they think Jesus comes and Jesus goes. And Jesus comes and Jesus goes. And it's not true. It's not true at all. Most often Christians believe that when they do good, then they are right with God. And when they do wrong, then they believe they are no longer right with God and must now bring a sacrifice of sorrow and repentance and beating themselves up for several days in order for God to reinstate them into their right standing, to renew their reservation. (laughs) They believe that they can be righteous one minute in right standing with God, but become unrighteous the next, all because of what they do. But thankfully, our Heavenly Father has provided us with a finished work salvation, a finished work with ongoing effects and benefits. We have already become completely new creations on the inside, who have already been translated into God's kingdom, the kingdom of God's very own Son, right now, and who are spiritually already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's our home. We actually dwell there in a spiritual sense, in Christ Jesus. It's already done. I don't need a reservation for heaven. I already live there in a spiritual sense. I live in Christ. He is in heaven and he is in me. Already done. Salvation is an already done experience. I don't need a reservation. I'm already there. But what's not a done deal is us as believers, knowing and understanding who we are in Christ, and knowing and understanding that all that Jesus accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection is available to us all the time. And that's the ongoing process that all believers are living in. The renewing of our minds to the truth of who Jesus really is, and the truth of who we really are in him, and the truth of what he actually accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. And that was the same process that the New Covenant Hebrews were experiencing at that time in history when Hebrews was written. The Apostle Paul could have asked the New Covenant Hebrews the very same questions he asked the baby Corinthians. Did you not know (laughs) that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own? And the reality was that they either really did not know They did not understand the spiritual realities of the new covenant, or they just didn't care (laughs) to keep these truths firmly planted in their hearts. Either way, this shows us that they were spiritually lazy and or spiritually immature. And those two things usually go together. Sometimes someone who is spiritually immature would not understand how seriously sin affects their lives. Ever meet those granola Christians? (laughs) They're young and the Lord, they don't know as much as they think they do, and they do all kinds of crazy things. An immature believer could be someone who believes that how they live doesn't matter at all. After all, if my salvation is eternal, then I can just live a mess and still go to heaven. And they're right. But is that what God's plan is for them? No, not at all. (laughs) And for these Old Covenant Hebrews, it was important that they understand that following the voice of the Holy Spirit, living in the life of Christ, letting him live in us and through us, was what was going to protect them from a disaster. See, we never know what kind of disasters are in the future, but Jesus can take us around them, just like he did them. 
those New Covenant believers didn't realize that they could harden their own hearts. You see, they got saved. They accepted Jesus as Messiah, but they kept going to temple. <laughs> Not to visit prostitutes, but to hear the Old Covenant read to them. So they got saved, they got Jesus, but they didn't understand what this salvation was all about. So they just kept Jesus in with their Judaism. And as revelation started to occur, they started to come out of Judaism. In fact, when quote unquote Christianity began, it wasn't Christianity. It was the fulfillment of prophecy. They were Jews apprehending the fulfillment of prophecy until they realized that the old covenant believed and operated was completely different from what Jesus had given them. And they got kicked out. <laughs> The Christian Jews got kicked out because they really believed that Jesus was all that the scriptures revealed him to be. And the Judaizers said, no, if you're going to have Jesus, you still have to keep the law. That's what keeps you saved. And unfortunately, most of the church has the same idea. It's not Jesus that keeps us saved. It's keeping laws that keeps us saved. And it's not true. So the writer of Hebrews warns the New Covenant Hebrews over and over again. Today, if you will, hear his voice. Harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation. Again, hardening our heart happens when we hear God, but we ignore him. He keeps knocking. <laughs> he keeps seeking. He keeps speaking. But what happens is we get duller and duller and duller, and we're not as sensitive to the Holy Spirit as we should be. So that he can lead us around disaster. So he can lead us in paths of righteousness. So that he can lead us into life and life more abundant. So again, the author continues to warn the New Covenant Hebrews to not be just like the Old Covenant Hebrews, who came right up next to the land of promise, because their unbelief was stronger than their faith in God, they failed to possess their promise. And this really seems to be one of the major themes of the book of Hebrews. Don't miss out on what God has for you because of your unbelief. Instead, set your eyes on Jesus and his finished work and let your faith arise to take hold of what the Father has promised. Now, it's one thing to know the truth in our head. But it can be quite another to actually know and understand our new covenant spiritual realities in our heart. So just like the baby Corinthians, these baby Hebrews either really did not understand who and what Jesus was and all that he accomplished on their behalf, or they had let those truths slip away from them. And they were beginning to wobble in their faith in Christ because they had not given more earnest heed to the things they had heard. It is hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit that enables us to have our hearts convinced of the things he reveals to us in the written word and through the promises he speaks. We have to hear and hear and hear. It matters what we hear. Jesus said, take care about what you hear, how you hear. <laughs> you have to hear new covenant over and over and over again. Sometimes when I'm preparing a message, God, I've said these things a million times. He goes, yes, and you need to say them a million more. <laughs> because we need the truth over and over and over to wash out all the other stuff we're hearing. It is the truth that washes out the lies and the doubts. Remember, the author warned these New Covenant Hebrews in chapter 2 that they needed to give more earnest heed, that they needed to give more superabundant attention to the things that they had heard about Christ. Because if they didn't, the truths of who he is and what he's done for them would slip away from them, and they would end up missing out on the promised great escape from the destruction that would soon come upon Jerusalem. Their physical lives actually depended on them paying attention and hearing Jesus. The author of Hebrews is reminding the New Covenant Hebrews of these truths, that they really do need to give superabundant attention to the truths about Jesus' true identity as the Son of God and the truths regarding his so great salvation. So, in chapter 5, the author once again brings up Jesus' true identity as the Son of God and their high priest. Now, he's already done this before, but again, <laughs> repeats and repeats and repeats, because they weren't getting it. They needed to understand who Jesus was. He is the Son of God, and he is their high priest, and they weren't really getting that. 
So he reminds them that God is the one who appointed Jesus to be their high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And the proof was found in their very own scriptures. This appointment was not something Jesus did to himself. It was the Father who appointed him to be the perfect sacrifice and the perfect high priest and the perfect Joshua who would take them into the land of promise by grace through faith. So it is these truths, Jesus' true identity and his true positions in the kingdom of God that the author brings up in the first portion of chapter 5. Now, we already covered that in a message uh, recently called A New and Different Kind of High Priest. And I didn't want to have to re-preach it. <laughs> so we're going to skip over it. <laughs> and then right after that, the author says, suddenly he shifts his focus away from who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, and he gets right back to the baby Hebrews <laughs> of the New Covenant. And he says to them, beginning in, with verse 9 of chapter 5, he's speaking about Jesus and being made perfect, which means complete. He, Jesus, the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Now, some things sound scary, but it's just because they're not really translated very well. <laughs> to begin with, Jesus was always perfect. He became perfect and complete as a high priest. The suffering he went through was training for him to understand us when we go through suffering so that he could be the perfect high priest to us. That's what that's talking about. But in this context, this refers to Jesus becoming perfect and complete, a perfect and complete human representation to God as our high priest. Because Jesus voluntarily went through all the suffering leading up to and including the cross, he was thoroughly prepared by that experience to compassionately understand the suffering that all human beings experience. In other words, his experiences made him perfect for the job of being our high priest. And then the author drops a truth bomb. This was like a bomb going off to these Hebrews. That if they understood this correctly, would destroy their belief that they needed to continuously make efforts to become right with God over and over again. He says that Jesus became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey. The word author, according to the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, refers to one who produces, creates, or brings into being. And as an example, they use God. God is the author, <laughs> the one who produces, creates, and brings into being, the author of the universe. And man did not help God create the world. It was completely a work of God's hand. And in the same way, Jesus is the author, the creator, the one and only who brought into being something that never existed before. Eternal salvation. Here and now. The Jews would have said, mm, we're not sure about that. Because <laughs> that was their big beef. We must keep the law for God to accept us. And the Apostle Paul and and the writer of the, of the Hebrews is trying to tell them, no, it's not about what you can do. It's all about what he has done. But you have to believe it. You have to understand it, or you're going to be miserable. <laughs> In the strongest concordance, the word eternal means this, perpetual. It's also used of past time or past and future as well. Eternal, from beginning to end forever. <laughs> it is eternal, forever, and everlasting. But I like it because perpetual doesn't mean somewhere in the future it starts. Perpetual means when I get it, it perpetually works forever and ever and ever. So I looked up perpetual in the Webster's 1828, and it said, never ceasing continuing forever in the future time, destined to be eternal. The um, example is a perpetual covenant, the new covenant. It also means continuing or continued without intermission, uninterrupted. I like this because these Hebrews, even though they were tempted to go to the temple <laughs> to hear the word of God from the old covenant, but even though that was actually not what God would want them to do, their salvation continued to be 
perpetual. It was uninterrupted by their, their doubts. It was uninterrupted by their failings. It was uninterrupted. And that's what they did not understand. They didn't know they could rest in what Jesus had done. They thought they still had to work to provide their own righteousness. Again, I love the word perpetual because we can't have a perpetual salvation if we have to wait till we die to get it. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. So our eternal perpetual salvation must be something that we have right now. And this is what the New Covenant Hebrews were struggling with. An eternal perpetual salvation. A finished work with perpetual ramifications. We are saved spiritually forever, having a perpetual right standing with God perpetually based on Jesus alone. And because that truth seemed to be too good to be true, they were still bringing sacrifices to the temple, still eating kosher, still tithing, still keeping the Sabbath, and still avoiding Gentiles, all in an effort to maintain their right standing with God. But all of their good doings did not and could not make or maintain their right standing with God because it wasn't based on them. Jesus made them right with God through his eternal blood. And it is Jesus that maintained their perpetual right standing with God. So all of their good, all of their law-keeping deeds were actually acts of unbelief. You know what we call that? Sin. <laughs> they didn't know it, but they were sinning in an effort to try to make themselves right with God. Because it was all about how, what they did not believe. They didn't believe Jesus alone was enough. So their good deeds were actually causing their doubts to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And they thought they were earning such good merits from God. But everything they did was out of unbelief, which is what the author of Hebrews keeps warning them about. He says, you have to hear about Jesus. You have to hear about Jesus. You have to hear about Jesus over and over and over and over again. <laughs> because the natural realm will tell you something different. Now, for the most part, the deeds themselves that they were doing were not the problem. The problem was their confidence or their faith was in their own deeds as a means of keeping themselves right with God. They were not yet convinced that they did not need to obey all of the Old Covenant laws. And then finally, the word obey in this verse. That sometimes scares people. They say, well, I accepted Jesus, but I don't obey all the time. I try, but I fail. <laughs> That's because they don't understand. Again, not a good translation. Because when you look it up, it is about listening attentively and responding in faith. That's it. It's not about keeping rules of any kind. God's idea of obedience is hearing him, believing him, and then responding to him with an action of faith. Biblical obedience is simply faith in action. Once we believe what God says, our faith empowers us to do what God says. And in the context of this verse, this obedience referred to is simply believing and receiving the author of eternal salvation who also has an eternal priesthood. Now, for these New Covenant believers, eternal salvation was unfortunately still a new or little understood concept, even after 30 years after the resurrection. And that's because an eternal salvation was something completely different from what the Old Covenant Jewish system had. Everything under the Old Covenant was temporary and based on their behavior. So, like many believers today, they continue to mix Old Covenant law-keeping with their New Covenant relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We can see this in verse 10 also. He says, called of God, speaking of Jesus, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The Melchizedekian priesthood was the first priesthood revealed in the Bible, and it's the last priesthood spoken of in the Bible. And that's because it's an eternal priesthood. If we have an eternal salvation, then we also need an eternal priesthood. Verse 11. Of whom we have many things to say. Talking about Melchizedek. 
He's going to bring it up later in chapter 7. <laughs> of whom we have many things to say. He says, you need to know about Melchizedekian priesthood. You need to know. You need to understand. And all these things are hard to understand because you are dull of hearing. The new baby Hebrews of the new covenant were dull of hearing. They were guilty of doing exactly what he had been warning them not to do. He said, when you, if you will hear the voice of God, do not harden your heart. But see, they were hanging on so tightly to the old covenant rules that when God would tell them they didn't need to, they wouldn't hear him. They kept putting him off. No, that can't be right. No, that can't be right. That's not what I was taught. They wouldn't let the Holy Spirit change their mind. They were dull of hearing. According to the Strong's Concordance, the word dull here is sluggish. That is literally lazy or figuratively stupid. And it's usually translated dull or slothful. Now, in Old English, the word stupid doesn't mean the same thing now that it meant back then, because I think that's pretty hilarious. You are stupid of hearing. <laughs> and which would be true. It was stupid to listen to the old covenant rules. <laughs> but that's not what he's trying to say. So the word stupid, if you look it up in this Webster's 1828 dictionary, it says this. It comes from the Latin to be stupefied. You know, when something is so awe-inspiring, you stop. <gasps> that's what it means. That they have stopped. And of course it says properly, that's exactly what it means. And then the Webster says, go see the definition under stop. And we will, just after I give you this definition. The definition of stupid, according to English, means very dull, insensible, senseless, lacking in understanding, heavy or sluggish. These New Covenant baby Hebrews weren't in any hurry to get it right. <laughs> they weren't in any hurry to hear Jesus because they kept listening for Moses. So he's telling them, this has got to stop, guys. You're going to die if you don't listen. And that was the truth for them. If they didn't listen, they were going to die. So according to the Websters, the word stop simply means to hinder, to impede, or to arrest progress. And these two definitions combined are probably the best way to understand the word dull in this verse to arrest their progress because they weren't listening to Jesus. They weren't listening to Holy Spirit. They were still following Moses. Their progress as mature believers was hindered. And here they were, some of them have known Jesus for over 30 years, and they're still babies. They're still sucking on the bottle of the old covenant and wondering why they're not getting anywhere. <laughs> the new covenant Hebrews had become hard of hearing, spiritually speaking, through not giving the voice of the Holy Spirit the attention and honor that he deserved. They had quit listening to the Holy Spirit and had reverted to listening to Moses, which is why the author keeps reminding them that they need to heed the voice of the Holy Spirit. Everybody hears the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be saved to hear the Holy Spirit. That's why we can get saved, because God created us to hear him. But we don't hear him with our physical ears. We hear him with our spiritual ears. Everybody hears the Holy Spirit. They just don't recognize that it's the Holy Spirit speaking to them, at least not at first. Holy Spirit speaks to us in our thoughts and in our unction, our intuition. And he sounds just like us. He doesn't sound like Morgan Freeman or Charlton Heston. That would be easy, wouldn't it? <laughs> nope. <laughs> we have to listen closely. And we recognize him by his character. We recognize him by his tone. We recognize him because he's love. And that's different from anything else that runs around in our head. <laughs> now, because we hear him in our thoughts, and he sounds just like us, sometimes we don't recognize it when it's him. We're not sure. God, is that you or is that me? Now, sin is easy. God is never going to tell us to sin. But so this leading comes when we're making other decisions. Okay, I want to do this. Is that you saying I can do this? Or is this me saying I can do this? <laughs> and we have to seek and listen closer. That's all. Once upon a time, as a young Christian in the Lord, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to hear God. <laughs> My church told me, no, God speaks through his written word. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. And I was like, 
but he talks to me. <laughs> and I know it's him. And when I miss it, he shows me that it's him. And I actually got in trouble from my church for saying that I could hear God speak. One of the ways he showed me that I was hearing him is I was on my way home one day and I was in a hurry. I was going to be late for an appointment if I didn't hurry up and get home and get what I needed and, and go back. And on the way there, I hear this thought. Go the long way home. Now I'm in a hurry. And I have this thought. Go the long way home. Is that logical? <laughs> no, it's not, is it? So I said, not doing that. I'm in a hurry. Didn't recognize that it was God. Before I get home, I come upon a traffic accident. And I have to sit there. All the police cars and everything else, and we're sitting, and we're sitting, and we're sitting. And I'm like, oh. And God says, see? You heard me. I was like, yep, I did. <laughs> and I didn't listen. <laughs> but, you know, he wasn't mad about that. He was just showing me. You hear me. I speak to you all of the time. I speak to you in your heart. I speak to you in your thoughts. I speak to you. Realize that I'm speaking to you. The Holy Spirit actually speaks to everyone all of the time. And he speaks to people and through people all of the time. And sometimes people don't even realize that the Holy Spirit is speaking through them. It's actually him speaking through them. You guys do this all the time. I've worked on a message. We get up here for grace inspiration. Y'all are just stealing my message notes. <laughs> you hear God too. I hear him through you. And he has this, this habit of telling us all the same kinds of things. <laughs> you know why? He wants us to know it's him. He likes to confirm his word. That I said the same thing over and over and over. Through them and through them and through them and through them. And now you can rest assured that you've heard me. That's just how good he is. But the New Covenant Hebrews were more like me in that moment. They were not paying attention. And they were doing it continuously and on purpose. Because they were so indoctrinated with law-keeping that eternal salvation by grace through faith sounded suspiciously way too easy. Have you heard that one? <laughs> That can't be right. That's too easy. Why do we think salvation should be hard? <laughs> and believe it or not, believers today often stumble into the same kind of unbelief because they have been taught that you have to work hard for your reservation instead of believing that salvation is eternal right here and right now because that sounds suspiciously way too easy. And this idea of salvation be being too easy just reveals what they actually believe. They believe they need to add their obedience to God's gift of grace in hopes that someday they'll be saved. And they believe that because they actually want to deserve salvation. I had this friend of mine, she called me up and she says, how do I get God to spank me? Excuse me? <laughs> she said, I keep falling in this, in this one particular area. If God would just beat the living daylights out of me, I'd stop. I said, no, you wouldn't. You'd just get worse. <laughs> because it's not beating you that changes your heart. It's not hate that gives you the ability to change. It's love. Let him love you through this. He loves you right in the middle of your mess. He loves you just as you are, right where you are. And when you start believing that, you'll find that his grace enables you to change. But most people actually want to deserve their salvation just a little bit. Jesus plus a little bit of me. And Jesus says, oh, I don't share. <laughs> it's all of me or none of me. Grace, when taken seriously, destroys all of our self-centered pride. And sometimes this pride sounds perfectly logical, like not going the long way. <laughs> After all, who wants to be a salvation moocher? Those agape, sloppy agape people. <laughs> They're moochers. 
<laughs> you know, someone who wants to just take and take and take and take from God without ever paying him back. Yep, I'm a salvation moocher. <laughs> and he loves it. He wants us to take and take and take and take and take. He wants us to believe and believe and believe and believe. He wants us to have everything, like Mark said earlier, anything you wish. If it's godly and good, God wants you to have it. And he has a way for you to get it. But you have to follow his way. <laughs> you have to listen to his directions. Wishing doesn't make it come to pass. Believing what God says to you about that makes it come to pass. So this idea that sloppy agape people are mooching off of God <laughs> really reveals spiritually immature thinking. It reveals just how little they understand about God's absolutely free loving kindness. How little they understand that salvation is a gift and is an eternal gift. Nothing would make God happier than for all of us to mooch off of his so great salvation constantly. <laughs> he wants us to take it, to have all of his great goodness with no consciousness of debt. You ever have somebody you didn't know very well give you a present? You know that awkward, oh, I don't have one for you feeling. <laughs> That's not from God. Grace doesn't say, oh, I have to pay you back. Grace says, thank you. Thank you for this demonstration of love. There's no obligation on my part. That's what he's talking about. He doesn't want us to feel obligated like we owe him. We have to pay him back. So no, just take more. Just take more and more and more. He only wants us to have consciousness of his great love and goodness and faithfulness. Because it's only by really comprehending and believing these truths that our faith can arise and take hold of all that the Father has promised us. That's why he wants us to believe and to recognize and to be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit so that our faith can arise and take us into his rest, no matter what's going on in the natural realm. But the New Covenant Hebrews were no longer sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit, so they were not strongly convinced about Jesus bringing them an eternal salvation. So they kept mixing what they knew from the Old Covenant with what little they understood from the New. And it was this mixing of covenants that caused them to be dull or hard of hearing. They couldn't really hear and believe the truth about Jesus and the new covenant because they had logically reinstituted law keeping as a necessary means of maintaining their salvation. And this brought their spiritual progress to a screeching halt. And they reverted once again into being spiritual babes in their understanding. We can see this truth in verse 12. I have it for you in the Weymouth translation, simply because it's easier to read and comprehend. Verse 12. For although, considering the long time you have been believers, you ought now to be teachers of others, you really need someone to teach you over again the very rudiments of the truths of God. You have come to require milk instead of solid food. Obviously, these New Covenant Hebrews started out well, because he says, you be, now become immature. You started out just fine believing just in Jesus, and then those Judaizers convinced you to keep the law. <laughs> These New Covenant Hebrews started well believing that Jesus was the Messiah, and that Jesus as the Messiah was enough. But then they, like me, <laughs> they, like me, probably went to church, <laughs> where they were told all about the works they needed to do in order to maintain their right standing with God. And if we managed to stay in right standing with God until we died, then we would receive eternal life in heaven. And those of us who believed this way were unknowingly spiritual babies who needed to be taught again the truth regarding our everlasting righteousness. Verse 13. By people who live on milk, I mean those who are imperfectly acquainted with the teaching concerning righteousness. These New Covenant Hebrews did not know that their foundational understanding of the New Covenant righteousness had been distorted and discolored by mixing the blackness of self-effort with the pristine whiteness of grace. They had been tricked into believing that God's grace was not enough. 
that God's grace was not enough to be found perpetually in right standing with God. And that they needed to stop being moochers <laughs> of God's goodness and start pulling their own weight, earning that salvation by keeping at least some of the laws, you know, like Sabbath keeping and circumcision. So their hearts were not yet convinced of an eternal salvation by grace through faith. And so the author plainly and maybe painfully tells them their current spiritual condition. Verse 14. Such persons are mere babes, but solid food is for adults. That is, for those who through constant practice have their spiritual faculties carefully trained to distinguish good from evil. The first part of the sentence, such persons are mere babes. They were babes in the sense of their understanding. You can be a Christian for 75 years and still be a spiritual baby. If you think that you have to add anything to Jesus' sacrifice, he says you're not going to be able to understand how high and long and deep and high is the, is the love of God if we think we have to earn it. So they were babes in their understanding. They didn't have good understanding of the truth of Jesus and his finished work and the new covenant of grace. They're only available by faith, not by works. These new covenant Hebrews had reverted to self-effort and self-righteousness as a means of trying to access God's grace and God's blessings. In other words, they were still trying to earn, at least in part, some of their salvation. <laughs> so they were still living according to their natural carnal understanding and still trying to become righteous by doing what they considered to be righteous works. But the scripture again says, but solid food is for adults. Spiritual adults are those who have come to understand the gospel of grace through the indwelling Holy Spirit. It is only the voice and witness of the Holy Spirit that can convince our hearts of the truth. Salvation is a gift of our Father's grace, period. It's God's grace that imparts our sonship in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. The New Covenant Hebrews still had a servant mentality, a Moses mentality, instead of a sonship mentality in and through Christ. They hadn't really understood or embraced the truth that believers have become eternal and perpetual partakers of Christ. We are really good moochers. <laughs> and we know this because they were still living out of their carnal mind instead of living out of the union with Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. They were still trying to live according to laws instead of living according to the voice of God within them. They continued to listen to Moses when they should have been listening to the Holy Spirit who would lead them into all the truth of the new covenant of grace. And it says, that is those who through constant practice. The practice that he's talking about is the practice of listening to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and yes, we have to practice. We have to purpose to listen to the Holy Spirit, to give him our attention, to pay super abundant attention to what he's saying to us and how he's leading to us. And these have their spiritual faculties, their perception and understanding, carefully trained to distinguish from good and evil. And the words translated good and evil here are not the usual Greek words used for the words good and evil. And I think it's because the translators are still thinking in terms of Old Covenant. Because what did they want? They wanted to know the difference between good and evil. That's what the law was for. But this really actually says something quite different. The word for good, according to the Strong's Concordance, is actually the word beautiful. Properly, it means that which is beautiful because it is good, literally or mor morally. That is, it is also valuable and virtuous. The Thayer's adds to this idea, includes the idea of something being beautiful because it is valuable, excellent, precious, useful, and admirable. Now that sounds a whole lot different than good. This is the essence of what beautiful is. You need to tell the difference between what is beautiful and what is evil. And the word for evil here does not mean evil like Satan is evil. <laughs> it means worthless. The Strong's Concordance says the word evil here means that which is worthless. And it says intrinsically in its nature. It means it is completely worthless <laughs> from beginning to end. It's just worthless. <laughs> to be worthless is that which has no beauty, no value, no goodness, and no excellence. So it's the opposite. It's beautiful or worthless. Now, I don't believe the author is trying to tell them how to discern good from evil. That's pretty obvious, even for the babies. <laughs> 
But what's not obvious to spiritual babies is the beauty and excellence of God's grace, made available to every man through faith in Jesus and his finished works. What's truly beautiful is the love that our Father demonstrated when he sent his Son to take our place. When he sent his Son to take our lashes, to take our, our beatings, when he sent his son to take our scorn and our shame, and when he sent his son to be counted a traitor and a blasphemer, when he sent his son to be nailed to a cross, naked, wearing only a crown of thorns on his head. That's what's truly beautiful. What is truly excellent and valuable is the blood that poured out from Jesus' hands and feet and back and head and side. What's truly beautiful is that he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities and the chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are now healed. That's what's truly beautiful and good. Beautiful is all that Jesus has done for us. It is all that Jesus is. Jesus is truly beautiful. And grace is truly beautiful. And faith in Christ is truly beautiful and valuable. And in contrast to this beauty, self-righteousness and confidence in our own good works are truly evil when they are believed to merit our Father's approval. They are not valuable or beautiful or excellent apart from Christ. By themselves, they are worthless. Nothing we can do can merit the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But it is only by the Holy Spirit that we discern or see and understand what is truly valuable and beautiful and what is, in fact, actually evil. All their good deeds were actually evil. They were worthless. Being able to rest from our own works and believe that our salvation is based only on Jesus and his finished work is truly beautiful. Knowing that our decision to believe on Jesus is a decision that cannot be undone is beautiful. And it cannot be done by any stupid thing we might do. And that truth is beautiful. <laughs> we are forever his. But we need to learn to rest in that truth. New Covenant Hebrews hadn't learned to rest in the full truth of what Jesus had done and the full understanding of this beautiful gift called salvation through faith by God's grace. Amen. Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word. It speaks so loudly. Even the good things we do, if left by themselves, are worthless. It is only the works that you do in us and through us and, and help us to accomplish. Those are only the things that are beautiful and valuable. We thank you, Father God. It is only by your grace that we do anything good and valuable. It is only by, by your goodness that you lead us and guide us into all the truth. It is all about how good you are. Father God, we ask that you open our eyes and our ears to hear and to see and to believe in this magnificent new covenant of grace. And Father, we thank you for this eternal perpetual salvation through Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.